Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Templey. sexual nature it should be for people that are 18 years or older heed my warning people i do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show the facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims my description of the crime scenes are what i saw with my own two eyes if you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And y'all, today, we're going to be continuing the series Monsters, and I think it's going to be part six. Now, I would love to be able to wrap the story up for you today, but it simply cannot be done. So I'm I'm thinking it's going to be part six and in part seven on the actual storytelling of the story itself to conclude it. And then part eight will be the the final summary of everything that happened and what happened to the monsters. So that being said. Uh, stay tuned at the end of today's show for some announcements. And real quick, I want to give a shout out to all lifers because uh, last week we passed 3 million downloads, uh, 3 million listens on Real Life Real Crime. And let me put that in context for you. Last February, we reached 1 million downloads. Last May, when I started telling stories again by myself and going back to the old school way of doing things, we were at 1.2 million. So since May, we've done over 1.8 million more downloads. Now, look, I'm no mathematician, but if at 20 months, we've done 3 million downloads. I think our growth rate is phenomenal. That's because each one of you lifers, and I just want to say that uh, so you hear it at the beginning, and I appreciate it. We have a lot of announcements coming up uh, about live shows and stuff like that and Patreon and, and everything else. So that being said, you're going to have to bear with me because, you know, I'm raw and unscripted and I don't use notes. 
And I have so much more of this story to tell that is so important. So let's get started. Monsters Part 6. All right. So when I left you last, I had left the bad guy under arrest, first-degree murder in the Livingston Parish Jail. And I had gone up there on Thanksgiving morning while he was still talking to try to get him to talk a little bit more just to see if he'd say anything else because you never know. It's just an old trick, right? Keep him talking as long as you can. And, of course, he told me that his lawyer, this great lawyer, Arden Wells, came in uh, and told him he was going to represent him, you know, pro bono, I assume, for the publicity of the case. He knew it was going to be a death penalty case. And that he was going to get off with, like, manslaughter. And he just had that big, fat, cheesy, greasy grin on his face like the cat that ate the canary, right? And I'm, I'm like, cool, man. You know, let me know how that works out for you, right? So go and do Thanksgiving. And then Cal and I meet back up at the office on Friday. And now, y'all, keep in context, this has been a week it was a week of the manhunt after the murder and after the autopsy. But now we have the confession. So you got to work off of that. You've got to take the things the guy said and, you know, try to further the case, if you will, try to get more information. But I, the one thing that was really, really sticking with me in as soon as I walked in the door, Calvin and I were sitting down. Nobody else was there. They were still off for the holidays. Uh, sitting down having the coffee, and, and Calvin beat me to the punch. And, and he said, man, you know what's bothering me? And I said, probably the same thing that's bothering me. He said, "He said the granddaughter. I said, yeah. I said, that's it. And I said, you know, when he confessed and we asked him, was anybody else there? He just got so uh, that was the only time his demeanor changed, other than when he was talking about uh, beating her with the bottles. The, the he was that he was vague in that area, if you will. I mean, he's dead on about using the dope and and, and all that. But when it came to the beating area, he was a little bit vague. Not saying that he wasn't there. I was just saying, I don't think he was telling the whole truth at that point, meaning I think there was somebody else involved. And when we asked him about uh, was anybody else with him, he just was real quick to be adamant. No, 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 uh -uh. I was totally by myself. You know, that little bit of demeanor change where that's where reading people comes in, right? And the only thing I can think of is the granddaughter. And how she covered her hands that day when we met with the family and her demeanor that night saying the N-word, drug dealers must have kidnapped him and et cetera. And just her whole her whole thing, right? Her whole demeanor. And, and so we started talking about it. And I said, you know, Calvin, the, the, the last week when we pulled the, the phone records, his phone records, and we he had made... I think two phone calls that morning when he left work. And I said, and we had tried to call the numbers and, and nobody answered on either one of them. But then that wasn't when we figured it might have been the dope dealer or whatever. But at the time, it wasn't the highest priority. And Calvin said, I already got him, bro. And he had the, the phone numbers again. I said, well, let's call him. 
you know, I said it's Friday, Friday after Thanksgiving. Hopefully, I'll be home. I suppose block out the number. Now, when we called originally, we didn't block out the number, so it would have showed up Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office calling. Matter of fact, I think he did it from his his cell phone and he blocked it out the star six seven and called the first one and some mail answered. No idea who it was, and they hung up. Right, called the second one. And it rang like three times, and it heard, hello, in that voice. And she, the granddaughter has a very distinctive, I'm going to say gravelly voice, right? Like a, a longtime smoker or something like that. I don't know how you would describe it, but she has a very distinct voice. And he had it on speakerphone. And when she said hello, I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we're smiling. And he just hung up on her. And he's like, bruh. That's the call, the the last call he made, right? The second call he made at the time that he would have been leaving work. So I said, let's get the phone, his phone records to go back and see if we can match that number any more times. And we did. And we spent some time going through it. And he, they had a history of communicating during the daytime for not that many weeks, but it, it, I can't remember exactly how many times it was, but it's was, it was significant. And it was only for a few minutes at a time, right? You have to ask yourself, why would it be just during the daytime? Well, we knew that he worked. We knew that his wife worked, the, the victim's daughter worked, right? And, and But why is he calling her, the granddaughter? Could be. Innocent reasons, right? It could be totally, totally innocent. It could be he's calling to talk to her husband. Now, the granddaughter at the time was married and had two children, probably, I would say, I don't know, six and eight or or eight and ten, something like that. They were school-age kids. But she didn't have a job. And I, I remember asking her that night, are you employed? And she said no. So, you know, we're, we're thinking about it, and I'm like, dude, we got to, you know, try to get some more juice on her. We need to find out. Uh, we have to be able to exclude the fact that we, we want to lock her into a statement. Remember she told us the night of the homicide that she hadn't seen him in, you know, three or four days, however long it had been, and she, she didn't talk to him, et cetera. Well, we know somebody at her residence talked to him the morning of now, right? And... But we can't say for sure that it wasn't her husband or her kids and he's calling, checking her grandkids, whatever. We don't know. And so we, we need to go lock her into the statements. Also, we haven't told the family yet that he can what he confessed to, right? They knew he was under arrest, certainly, but we haven't told him that he confessed to the beating in the head and then executing her. So that, that's a tough thing to handle in itself. I mean, you got to take into consideration his family's suffering. And yes, to this day, it breaks my heart for them. And But we kind of had an in on talking to the family. And anytime you go and you tell them stuff like that, they're going to want to know more than you can really share the, uh, case-wise. And they already know their loved one's dead. But when you go to tell them that your husband confessed to beating and then coming back when she's, you know, laying down gurgling, blowing bubbles, whatever. And you get the, the, the 
rifle and try to execute her and you got the wrong bullets. I mean, you're not going to tell them all that, right? But you got to figure out what to tell them. But we kind of had an in on the other granddaughter was married to a Baton Rouge City police detective. And, you know, certainly he wasn't a homicide detective. He was in general detectives, I think, or burger or something like that. But he's still a cop. And we knew that we knew that we could talk to him. So I called him up and I told him, I said, hey, man, look, you know, I need to meet with you. I said, we got a confession out of him last night and the, the you know, not last night. The, uh, well, uh, yeah, I guess early, early yesterday morning, we got a confession out of him and I, I need to, you know, some advice on how to break it to the family, et cetera. And I said, you know, maybe you could bring your wife with you and, and we'll meet up somewhere where uh, her mama doesn't know about it yet. And I could tell you what, what he told us and then you can help us break it to your wife. He was like, cool. And then really, y'all had more questions for her. And we had, we had met her that night, and we met her the one time at the house when the other granddaughter stayed outside and wouldn't show the hands, that kind of thing. But I, I, now we have time. He's under arrest. He's not going to kill anybody else. Now we need to gather as much information as we can. And look, again, the, the other granddaughter may not have had anything to do with it, but shit wasn't looking good for her, right? So he said, look, I can, I can come meet y'all. By this time, I, it was evening time, y'all. And he said, we can't do it here because her, her mama's here. And I said, well, that's fine. I mean, we, we tell me a store somewhere that's close to you. And I think he said the Carter's grocery store that was close to where they live. So Calvin and I drove over to meet him. And his wife's in the car. And I, I told him, I said, just ask her to stay in the car for a few minutes. I want to talk to you. And I told him what he confessed to, the beating in the head yeah, in the execution, et cetera. He's like, damn, man. He said, I don't, I don't know when this is going to end. I said, me either, bro. I said, but it, that, I mean, it, I said, what do you think? How do you think your wife's going to do? He said, well, shit, she, you know, she, she is a paramedic. Uh, she's seen a lot of horrible things. She, he said, but this is her grandmother. I mean, she loved her to pieces, right? I said, well, we can start with her, and then maybe she can help us break it to the mom. I said, how's How's her mama doing? He said, she's just a basket case. I mean, I mean, she said she is just absolutely destroyed. I said, well, I get that. I mean, she lost her mama and her husband all in one night, right? So get the his wife out of the car and, and you know, introduce herself again. And this lady is, is really well put together again. She's, her mama would end up being one of the strongest uh, family victim members that I've ever met. And this lady was probably the second strongest, but she did have the, the medical background and all that. But I told her, I said, listen, what I'm going to tell you, it's going to be hard to hear. Uh, and I said, but you need to know it. And, I'm, and then I got a couple questions for you. And so I told her, I said, we got him. She said, she said that he's a piece of shit. And then, and I said, yeah, no doubt about that. He is a piece of shit. I said, but look, I got a confession out of him. And she went, what? I said, yeah. She said, what did he say? She said, I want to know what he said. I want to know. And I said, well, you don't need to know everything. I said, but to sum it up for you in a nutshell, he confessed to beating her in the head and then shooting her in the head. And she was, she was like, she didn't fall down, but she was like, you know, naturally was very visibly distraught and her husband's holding her. And she was like, oh, I love my 
they called she called her grandmother a certain name. So I loved her so much. I loved her so much. And, you know, that's my sweetheart. And she said he didn't have to do that. And she said, you know, that night I was at home. I just put my youngest in the bathtub. And she said my grandmother had been having many strokes. And she said she was, she was on blood thinners. And she said I had been calling to check on her all all evening, and I couldn't get through. The house phone was busy. And she said, you know, that wasn't an unusual occurrence. Some From time to time when she lived by herself, she would accidentally knock the phone off the hook, and, you know, I'd have to go over there and, and put it back on the hook. She said, but, you know, she said, I called, and I really didn't think anything about it. So then I called again, and I think didn't think much about it. She said, but then I called again. She said, I started to get worried. I said, but you know what, maybe, maybe – Maybe she just knocked it off accidentally. Or I said, but then I started to get worried because I'm thinking she had those many strokes and maybe she fell or something. So she said, so I called Mama, and she said, don't worry about it. I'm going home in, in you know, less than an hour, and, uh, you know, I'll call you back and let you know. So she said, I, I was just putting my youngest in the tub, and the phone rang, and she said, it's my Mama. And all she could say was, there's blood, there's blood, there's blood everywhere, there's blood. And she said, Mama, I'm coming. She hung up the phone. She said, she said I hung up the phone, I grabbed my youngest out of the tub, and I called my oldest in and, and said, look, dry them off, I got to go. I got to go to Granny's or whatever she called her mom. She said, I ran out the door, and I drove over there. She said, I went through they parked around the back. Now, remember I told you the light was busted out by the door. She said, I went through the back door, and my mama was sitting at that little kitchen table. Now, when you walked in the back door, you had the mudroom where the light was broken. Then you had, you go immediately into the kitchen refrigerator on the right, the little kitchen table on the left. And then if you go a little bit further, it's when you make that right. And down that hall, that long hallway is where the victim was. She said, I hit the door. She said there were uh, first responders there. Fire department, uh, EMTs were there. She said, I hit the door. My mama's sitting at the kitchen table with her hands and her, uh, her head in her hands, just crying uncontrollably. And she said, I was like, where's where's my grandmother? Where's my grandmother? And, and she said, fireman stopped me and, and said, said, you don't need to go. She said, you get out of my way. And she kind of was pushing past him. And another fireman came and she made that corner, but he was blocking the view down the hallway, and, and she said, well, you know, let, let me get to my grandmother. He said, no, no, sweetie. He said, you need to stop. She's gone. And he said, what do you mean she's gone? He said, look, this is going to be a this is going to be a crime scene. She's like, what the hell are you talking about? This is going to be a crime scene. You know, she was on blood thinners. She, you know, she said she was thinking, you know, my grandmother's on blood thinners. She could have fell and hit her head. She said, are you sure she's gone? He said, listen, he said, I'm positive she's deceased. And he said, and uh, and this is going to be a crime scene. She said, what the hell are you talking about? I said, look at the gun cabinet. And remember, I told y'all the gun cabinet's right there. She said, well, I looked over, and the gun cabinet was wide open. It had some blood on it. Uh, the, the guns were gone. There were bullets scattered on the floor. She said, they, she said there was even a flower basket. She said, I remember there was a flower basket that was on top. It had been somehow knocked to the floor and was laying on the floor. And she said... Any other time in my life, I would, I'm such a strong woman, I would have absolutely 
barrel down the hallway, she said, but it was like my grandmother's spirit stopped me and said, baby, get out of the house. You don't need to see this. And she said, I don't know what it was. She said, that's, you know, that's the only reason I didn't go down the hallway. She said, but by that time, the, you know, the sheriff's office was showing up and they were clearing us out of the house anyway. And um, she said that, you know, she was outside and then the, her other sister showed up within a few minutes and started all that holler and the stuff I told you I heard about when I, when I arrived on scene and she continued to do throughout the night while we processed the scene, et cetera. But she told me, or she told Calvin and I, she said, she's just stopped. And, and she got this look on her face. She said, you said that he said he confessed to beating her in the head. And I said, yes. She said, my brother and I were talking the other day and he told me, and now this this is another brother, y'all, that we actually had not interviewed. Evidently, he came while we were working a crime scene, left before we finished the crime scene. And for whatever reason, I don't know why. I mean, it's, I don't I don't know why he left. But other than the fact that we were there for like seven hours or something, but she said, she said, Woody said, he told me when he got there, my sister was doing all the screaming and hollering. And he went up to her and grabbed her and hugged her and said, hey, what happened? What happened? She said, I don't know. They beat her in the head. They beat her in the head with something. And he's like, what do you mean? And he said, he said, then she she stopped and she wouldn't say anything else about it. She said, well, she's just dead. She's just, you know, she, my grandmother's been murdered. And she said, this is days and days after when he told me this. And he was like, how the hell do you think she knew? She knew. Uh, oh, he asked her. He said, you know, she told him the same thing that she got there and the ENT stopped her. Now, the mom, the victim's daughter, is the one that called 911. She got there, the lights were off. She had to stumble in, find the phone that was off the hook, which was by the victim's body and all that, and called 911. No other family members made it in the scene. So, her sister arrived later on, the one that was saying the N-words and doing all the holler, the one that said, when her brother asked her, said, what happened? He said, I don't know, they beat her in the head. And then she changed, or she quit saying that. And he said he was just thinking about it days after, like, it happens to a lot of us. We process things as it goes on. And he was like, wait a minute, how the hell does she know she'd been beaten in the head? If she hadn't been in the house, mama hadn't told her anything, she hadn't been in the house. How the hell did she know? And, and and the granddaughter we were talking to was like, she said, I don't understand that. She and Calvin said, Well, let me ask you something. He said, What is her relationship with him? And talking about the guy that confessed our suspect. And she said, What do you mean? And and said, you know, I knew what he meant, but he's like, I mean, Calvin said, Calvin's got this easy way that, that he'll slip up on people, right, with his questioning without really giving away the whole meaning. It's a real slick. He's real slick at what he does. And he's like, well, you know, the did they, like, hang out together? Were they really tight? And and she said, no. She said, I mean, he, he was a great uh, stepdad when he was great, you know. And she, he said, but, I mean, they're like, did they spend time together? And she said, no. I mean, why, why would they spend time together? She's married and, and, you know, he worked, et cetera. And then she starts with, she said, but you know what? I 
have to tell y'all more about him. I'm like, well, go ahead. And she said, you know, we knew he had been a recovering drug addict, but he had been great. When he married my mom, everything was great. He was a great stepdad. He was a great provider. He was a very loving, uh, church-going man. You know, it's just a great guy. She said, but they went to South Carolina, and talking about uh, like the last couple of months, they went to South Carolina for his work, and Mama went with him, and he fell off the wagon when he was in South Carolina, and he started using dope again. I was like, oh, shit. I said, okay, well, tell me about that. And she said, well, Mama called him and knew that he was using again, so she left him, and she came back to Louisiana, and he came back. But it was like five days later, he drove back doing a, a drug binge the whole way. And I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if he had any squash or women's underwear, right? I mean, so what did I tell y'all, though? Drug users. Now, he wasn't on the run for any crimes. You know, he was. He knew he was in trouble with his wife. But he he admitted. I mean, he binged his way home. He, he, I mean, when you run out of money, where do you go? You're going to go home. You're going to go someplace that's safe for you. But he gets back. She said, he, you know, told my mom, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get straight. I'm going to meetings again. I got a sponsor and all that. So she got back with him. And but the granddaughter, his daughter, the Baton Rouge City Cop's wife that's telling us all this, she said, but you know what? She said, I wrote his ass every time I saw him. She said, I I knew he was using, so I, he didn't even look like himself. And she said, I busted his ass on it. She said, every time I'd see him, I'd be like, oh, uh, you going to meetings? Uh, no, yeah, I'm sure you're not. And he had given his sponsor's name in NA Narcotics Anonymous to his mom. And his mama told her, well, she calls the dude and is like, has he been meeting with you? And he's like, nope, hadn't seen him. And so she said, last time I talked to him, I was like, um, you, you talked to your sponsor recently? And he started to lie about it. She said, don't lie. Then she said, because I called him. I know you haven't been going to meetings. I know you haven't talked to him. I know you're using dope. And she said that night when, and now look, the, the phone records, his phone records, remember I told you it was turned off when we started tracking him. We He had a ton of phone calls coming in after the victim's body was discovered. And one of them was this granddaughter, or his daughter's, the victim's granddaughter. She said, I called him that night from the, when y'all were in the process and seeing I told him, you son of a bitch, if you killed my grandmother, I'm going to hunt you down to the ends of this earth and I'm going to blow your head off. And, and I was like, well, you don't have to worry about that now because he's locked up, right? She said, but she said, Woody, my mama, I talked to her about it afterwards. Uh, in this past week, and she said, I knew that he was still using. And she said, actually, my mama and I were looking for another place to move to when she was murdered. So there you have that. And so anyway, we ended up going with him and and explaining to her mom that he confessed and, and all that. And y'all look, you know, it's, not sensationalizing. I'm just not going to tell you about it. It's just, you just imagine somebody coming and telling you that your husband murdered your mother in the most brutal way possible. And we didn't get into all the details in, which is, you know, neither here nor there, I guess. But it was horrible. And it's horrible that lady, I'll, I'll never forget her. 
I'll never forget that her daughter in in doing that. And that probably is the toughest part of the job. You know, people always ask me about how I handle the PTSD from the dead bodies and all that. That shit didn't bother me. The I think the only thing that ever actually bothered me were my victims' families. But anyway. So all that's done. And Calvin and I get back together and we're like, shit, man, we gotta go get the statement from the brother, right? Her saying that and, and we did. And and he said exact he said exactly that. He said, I'm telling you, he said, I got there, I heard about it late, somebody had called me, and I got there, there were cop cars everywhere, the news was there, and and I ran up and there was a big crowd of people, but my sister was raising hell. She was saying that in the N words had 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 abducted him and, and whatever. And he's like, he said, I grabbed her and hold her. I said, Hey, Hey, I said, hey, what, what's going on? I said, you know, you know, where's grandmother? And he, he said, what happened? And she said, they beat her in the head. And he was like, what are you talking about? And then she like called herself and she's like, I don't know. She's, she's grandmother's dead. Grandmother's dead. Well, we confirmed with the mother that she never told that daughter that she's observed any blows to the head. And honestly, she didn't. All she, when, when she went down the hall and she discovered the body, all she saw was the blood and the nightgown up and stuff like that. She wasn't paying attention before she called 911 and she didn't go back down there, right? So there's no way she could have told this now suspect that she was beaten in the head. So, uh, and how do you know that when you're on the scene? All right. So what do we do now? You know, we could have probably pushed it for probable cause to uh, the phone call, her making that statement on the scene. We probably could have pushed it for probable cause and her not showing the hands and stuff like that. But it's a death penalty case, y'all. And we already got him in, in, in jail. He's not getting out. No matter what his dumbass attorney thinks, he's not getting out. We have to work it and come correct, okay? If we go, if we do a probable cause warrant for arrest and we go try to flip her and she tells us to go pound sand, then we're fucked. And, and, and you know, Calvin and I talked about it and I was like, dude, we just gotta, we, I mean, we gotta lock her in more to her statements about when was the last time she saw him, I mean, talk to him, make sure her husband wasn't the one at home that day. And, and he, Calvin agreed. I mean, we were, we were, like minds, right? And we knew what we had to do. So, oh, we we asked the the uh, sister and the detective husband about her sister's husband, the new suspect. We'll call her the new suspect. The new suspect's husband. They said he's a great guy. He goes to work every day. You know, he's a great father to their kids. He's a good provider and all that. And I said, well, what time does he go to work? She said he leaves at like 8-something in the morning. And we got her address, and we waited uh, the weekend. And on Monday, Calvin and I go set up on the house at like 7.30 in the morning. And we knew what the, what su the new suspect's husband drove. And sure enough, he gets in his vehicle and he leaves to go to work. Well, more importantly... The, the two kids get off to school. And new suspect, the granddaughter, is now home alone. I look at Calvin, he looks at me. I said, 
let's go get the juice, baby. And, you know, and he said, well, let's at least lock her in, right? I said, so we knew what we were going to do. Um, we went up and knocked on a door. It's a small house in, um, in Denham Springs, Louisiana, and knocked on the door. Now, the old cliche of good cop, bad cop, you know, I don't really like to use that, but sometimes it's it's true. And, and remember, I was kind of hard on her the day about her hands. And I, I, I just, you know, Calvin had that more smooth, easy approach with her. And I, I told him, I said, you know, you do your thing and I'm just beat me, right? So we, we had a plan going in of what we were going to do. And this is how it went down. We knocked on the door. She opens the door and immediately... She, her eyes, she, when she saw us, her eyes bug her out of her head and her mouth drops open. Now, we always wore coat and ties and a badge on, uh, and gun on her belt. And we stand at the door and say, hey, how you, you know, how you doing? And she said, well, what do y'all want? And Cal said, we just want to talk to you. You know, we're, going, we're telling family members what happened and we're trying to get any more information we can on him, et cetera. And, you know, we just want to talk to you for a few minutes and, we already talked to your mom and your other sister, and, and she was like, well, and he said, can we come in? And she was like, well, I guess so. And she brought us into this little living room and had some kid toys and kids' toys around and stuff like that. And we sit down, and she, she was, like, really in a defensive posture and just, like, eyes bugging. And she's like, well, what, what is it, you know? And and I said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to advise you your Miranda rights in Calvin kind of looked at me and I said, Calvin, you know I'm going to do this, dude. I do it to everybody. And so I advised him Ren Rice. And she was like looking at me all crazy. Well, again, I'm playing kind of the bad cop. I said, but listen, you're not under arrest. I said, we do this, man, to your mom. We do it to everybody. We do it. I do it to anybody before I ask them any questions. I said, you, you certainly are not under arrest. And she was like, well, I don't understand why you have to meet right, Raymond Rice. I said, well, did you do anything wrong? She said, well, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I said, then why would you care if I read you your rights? And I said, I mean, do you want to you answer the questions? you want to hear what we have to say? And she said, well, yeah. And I said, well, then... You've been advised of your rights, right? And she said, yeah, I've been advised. So Calvin redirects her attention towards him, and he's like, look. He said, um, Calvin has a kind of soft voice, and he said, look, we, uh, you know, we got him under arrest, and he confessed. And she was like, what? And, and he said, yeah, he confessed. And now, look, we had asked her mom and the other sister not to tell her or anybody else, any other family members, anything until we talked to them about the confession that we told them. I said, also, it, it could damage the case. And so she really didn't know. I mean, she knew he was under arrest. And I can't remember the exact time frame. It had been a couple of days or whatever. But this guy was like, yeah, he, he you know, uh, so we, we're just trying to get more information on him. And, you know, we just we, we want to talk to you and she's like well okay what did he say what did he say and I said well I said you know we'll get to that in a few minutes I said I just got a couple questions for you and she and she was like well I won't know what he said I said well he he said he murdered your grandmother and she kind of looked at me she said well did he say anything else I said what the hell else is there to say and and yeah I said I mean what what, what you know, what are you looking for? But shit, I knew what she was looking for. She wanted to know, hey, did he give her up and was her ass going to jail? That's what I'm thinking, right? And the cow was like, no, no, no. He said, I said, hey, look, just, you know, 
can you tell us anything else about him? And she said, what do you want to, want to know? I don't know much about him. I said, what do, you, what do you mean you don't know much about him? Good cut back out. What do you mean you don't know much about him? I said, he's your stepdad, right, for years. And she said, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's my stepdad, but, it, you know, we didn't hang out together. I said, really? I said, you, when, when was the last time you saw him again? And, and, and she said, what do you mean? I said, when was the last time you saw him before he murdered your grandmother? And she said, oh, it had been a long time. I said, really? She said, I don't know, uh, weeks probably. She's, and I said, so it had been weeks? And she said, yeah, I, I don't know, but it had been a long time. So, so more than three or four days. She said, yeah, I'm thinking, boom, bitch, got you. Because that night, fresh on the scene, she said it had been like three days, right? I said, so, so I said, but you, you're saying that you would see him only when you go over to your mom's and he was there and he's off work. She said, yeah, yeah. And, and she said, I mean, we didn't hang out or anything. I said, well, what about your husband? She said, what about him? I said, I said, well, I just need to know, uh, do we need to talk to him also? And, and she said, what the hell would you talk to him for? I said, well, I mean, they might be buddies. I said, my father-in-law and I are, are partners. I said, I call him on the phone every day. And, she, and, and I said, just to shoot the shit. She said, well, they didn't even talk. And I said, really? I said, well, I mean, I, I, call, I, I just got off the phone with my father-in-law. It's 7.30 in the morning. He's, drink, or he's drinking his coffee. She said, he never called over here. And I said, you're talking about your father, your stepfather. The murder. He, he never called her. She said, no. I said, so, he, I mean, your husband, I don't need to go talk to him. I said, we don't need to go talk to him because you're clearly stating that he never calls over here and, and never talks to your husband. She said, no, you don't need to talk to my husband. And no, he never calls over here. Boom, bitches. Got you again, right? And Calvin's kind of smiling. And, and, and Calvin said, well, Okay, so did he ever come over here and hang out with your husband? She said, why are y'all asking about my husband? And now I knew where Calvin was going at, right? Said the, the, the if she went with him that day, and she didn't have a car. That's the other thing I forgot to tell you, she didn't have a car. If she went with him that day, he had to pick her up, right? So if push comes to shove, it was kind of a small neighborhood. They, she had some neighbors. We could ask them not right away, but when the time came, we could ask them, did they ever see that maroon truck over there picking her up? But she was like, no, the, uh, he's never come over here and, you know, just doing anything she could to distance herself from him, right? So Ari got the excuse, the defense attorney excuse that that phone call was for her husband. First of all, her husband, I said, I said, what time does your husband go to work? She said, she said the time. I said every day. And she said, yeah, I think it was like she, he lit, left just before eight. Every day, yes. Where does he work? She said it. And I said five days a week. She said, yes. What time does he get home? She told me. Um, I'm rapid firing questions so she can't think and she can't see what direction I'm going, right? So I'm just trying to do anything that I can to take away any excuse that she can try to have that her stepdad would have been over there for anybody but her. And so totally ruled out her husband. He never called over there by her own admission. He never called over there. They didn't hang out. Uh, he never came to the house. She now has changed her story on the last time she saw him from, because 
what happens? She was lying her ass off. One thing that never changes is the truth. She lied that night saying it had been three or four days that she had seen him. Now she's saying it's been weeks, right? And so we got that. We got that change up. And I said, I said, can you tell me what happened that night when you got there? I mean, when did you get there? I said, I, I got there like real close. I said, and you were there. I saw, I remember seeing you in the yard when I passed. She said, I got a, I got a call and that something happened to my grandmother. And I went up there and I said, okay. I said, when you got there, where was your mama? She said, my mama was, had come. She said she was being attended to by the uh, the medics. And, and she said, I tried to get to her and they were standing in front. She said, she had just come out of the house. I said, so you didn't get to talk to her. She said, no, not, not right away. And, and she said, but I know that son of a bitch uh, must have owed some drug dealers money and da 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 and, and I said, so you were standing there. I said, was your sister already there? And she kind of gave me a look. And then she said, well, yes, she was there. She you know, she was with my mama. And and I said, but you couldn't get to your mom. And she said, no. And I could tell there's like this, I don't want to say sister hate thing, like, the new suspect like really jealous of the, of the sister or whatever, but that's what I felt. And I said, so your other family members arrived throughout the night. And I said, did you ever, you know, talk to your mom about what she saw or anything? She said, no. And, 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 uh, mama just said that she was dead. And, and I know that we uh, kept trying to call him and find out where he was, and and he wouldn't answer his phone. And I know it just had to be over dope. It had to be over dope. And the ends, she kept calling in words, and, and it must have, you know, been over dope. I said, so, you know, do you know what happened to uh, to your grandmother and how she was killed? He said, she, I, I said, that night. I mean, how did you find out? She said, oh, I didn't find out till way after, after y'all told about the, you know, the autopsy and all that. I said, so that night you did not know how she was dead. You just knew she was dead. She said, yeah, I just knew mama said she was dead. And my sister said she was dead. I said, so you didn't, you didn't know how. And then y'all, this is huge. Think about it, right? And she told her brother she was beat in the head. And she said, no, I don't know how. Why, why would I know how? I said, cool. And then Calvin was like, okay, okay. And, and redirect her and getting her, you know, Good cop, bad cop, flowing. And and I asked her specifically, I said, what is your daily routine? You know, I said, your husband leaves for work, you get your kids off to school. So what do you do? She said, well, I clean my house. I'm like, mm, you don't fucking do too good of a job of it, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to throw shade or anything, y'all, but it wasn't uh, the best, right? But I probably shouldn't have said that, but whatever. She was like, I stay home and, and I'm a housewife and I and, and, you know, cook and clean and da-da-da. And I'm like, mm. And I said, so... On that day, you were home. And she said, absolutely, I was home. I said, all right. And, and you know, that, that's it. But she started back on what did he confess to? What did he confess to? What did he confess to? And, I, and I'm just, like, looking at her like she's stupid. And Calvin's like, well, he said, he said that he, he killed her. You know, he said that he killed her. And she said, did he say anything else? And I, and I said, what the hell else is he supposed to say? I said, I already asked you that. She said, well, I don't know. You know, did, did anybody help him or anything like that? I'm like, you fucking just keep hanging yourself. I said, who's going to help him? I said, you said that in drug dealers. And, and she's, she was like, well, maybe so. And I said, I said, who else would have helped him? You tell me. 
in in she she just shut up and you know sat there and she realized what she was saying right and then sitting in a defensive manner and just kind of cleaned up a little bit and calvin just kind of took it back over he said look he said look you know appreciate you letting us in the talk today you know if you have any more questions here's my card you know you give me a call if you can think anything else you give me a call and <laughs> we'd look also y'all during talking to her the whole time I'm there talking to her she had on long sleeves again at times when I say it sitting defensive she would that with her hands on her arms now it's been a while it's been like 10 11 12 days so she had any cuts uh, that didn't require stitches or whatever they pretty much would have been healed up I was trying to check her hands and shit out without totally tipping my hand if you will and I know Calvin was too and I mean you, she had like I don't know. She's just nasty. She had like, she, I'm going to describe her parents too. She was, I don't know, probably 40-something or, or maybe early 40s. Just real disheveled, unkempt. But she was she was kind of gaunt. You can see her veins and stuff. And, and uh, you know, how some people's veins are more prominent than others. But you really couldn't tell. And, and I wasn't going to ruin it right then and ask to see the hands again and all that. Anyways, Calvin smoothed it over and said, look, you know, we're leaving. We're going to go talk to you, to uh, your brother and, and everybody just to try to find out, blah, 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 whatever. And she was like, well, okay, okay. And then she realized her ass wasn't going to jail. She was probably doing cartwheels inside. And that's it. We left, right? And, and we got outside and get in the car. And Calvin's like, that bitch is guilty AF. And well, we didn't say AF back then. Ass fuck. And I was like, yup. And I said, here's the deal. I said, we got tons and tons and tons of DNA evidence, dude. And I said, you know, we've got to wait on the evidence. He said, fuck, I agree. He said, there's no sense in rushing it now. He's locked up. He can't kill anybody else. We know she's lying. She's lied about talking to him. I mean, the, unless a ghost answered the phone that morning at her house from him, she's lied about when she's when the you know, last time she saw him, she's lied about it that night. It, you know, I said, fuck man, she's lying about everything. He's like, you're right. I said, so here's the deal. I'm said, I'm betting my whole career, her DNA is coming back inside that crime scene. I said, I, I would bet my life on it. She beat her grandmother un, unconscious with that bottle and said broke. And he was like, I think the same thing, man. I totally agree. I said, so, we just got to pray out of all that blood that her DNA is in it. And that otherwise, she isn't going to confess to it. And it, it, to up until this point, he hadn't confessed to it. And, and to her being there, I'm talking about. And so that's what we had to do, y'all. We had to wait. Now, DNA back then really was in this. Still, it was, it was like 10, 15 years since it had been readily been available to law enforcement, but it still wasn't. You get DNA evidence. You can go in with a letter from the fucking governor and asking for it to be rushed, and they just didn't have the technology and the, the lab people to do it. And now I knew this. Listen, right? It wasn't six months after this that I went to Louisiana State Police as a criminal investigator, right? And I knew the people in the lab. Now, after I was at the Louisiana State Police, Governor Bobby Jindal 
approved a shit ton of funding for more scientists, if you would call them that, or whatever they call them, technicians, to do nothing but run DNA. And I know this because I interviewed them and I did their polygraphs and stuff. So it got a lot better in the backlog of DNA cases got a lot quicker as time went on, but shit, and right now, it was no telling how long it was going to be until the DNA came back. So other than that, all we could do is sit and wait and wait and wait. That's it. I'm going to stop it right here for this week because it is so much more in this in the next episode, part seven, will be the most damning episode you have heard yet. I cannot do the story justice and try and give you another hour, or it's probably going to be an hour and a half at least, of it today. So tune in next week, which will be Christmas week. So Merry Christmas to everybody early. And you will hear part seven. And then the next episode we release, or I release, will be part eight. And that'll be the conclusion where I tie everything up. So, but next week is the real meat of the matter. And if you think, I've been saying this, if you think you know the story, you don't know shit. And, and wait until I tell you the things that were never released. And I appreciate y'all listening this episode is necessary to build up to what's coming. Over 3 million of y'all listening or 3 million listens in 20 months. Pretty impressive lifers, and I love and appreciate each and every one of you. Justice for Courtney Coco is coming. Please continue to call in your tips on Miss Barbara Blunt. Call them in. And soon as Coco's arrest, murders are arrested, we are going to drop. Don't call it a cold case. And that's going to be, it's already been produced. The first season thus far has already been produced and it's on Miss Barbara Blunt's cold case. So we're going to be releasing that and then be able to get on that full time. Uh, and Toby Tompley and I are doing that together. And we need y'all to help solve that case. We're going to do exactly what we did in Courtney's case, but with the cooperation of law enforcement. We, the Sheriff Ard and his people were working on this case, and Calvin Bowden is one of them. Uh, and then the chief, Calvin, is number two, I think, now overall. Uh, the Criminal Investigation Division, I think is what they call it, for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. And Ben Bourgeois, my good friend, um, is the actual chief of detectives. So, But those guys are working on it. And now, even though we're in the height of COVID again and all that, don't think it's not being worked on. And the bad guys are girls. I know you're listening to this shit. So we are coming for you. And that's not a threat. It's a promise. And so, uh, but y'all can, you know, continue to call on your tips. And just love and appreciate each and every one of you. I'm going to be doing some um, extra releases this week on uh lives the the crew bash and um y'all i had been asked to be the the uh head for the crew of denim springs i was going to be the the they don't call it the king they call it the um
the Grandmaster, whatever it's called. Anyway, I was gonna I was gonna be riding in the parade. It, uh, it was a real honor. I appreciate y'all uh, that that crew uh, for the Mardi Gras parade, and they were the last ones that had to cancel because of COVID. I think the date was like February twelfth. Grand Marshal, that's what it's called. Grand Marshal, and that we were gonna you know, have a real good time with that, but it's been canceled too. But we are, the crew bash is coming and we have a date picked, uh, a tentative date picked and all that, but I'll, I'll be doing a drop and I'll be explaining all that to you later this week. So Lopa, give the gift of life. Oh, I got to say this. We lost a dear, dear friend this week, Ashley Falcon. And Ashley was a beautiful young lady, I think she was maybe 32 or, uh, but anyway, I met her through real life, real crime. She was a fan first. Then y'all hear me talk about the dream team moderators that run ones who run the crew page. So it's over 28,000 members now. And, you know, they deal with stuff every day, uh, because they, they love real life, real crime. And I mean, I'm, I, they moderate that page. You imagine you have over 28,000 members in a private group, you can get some nut jobs in there and people who post in inappropriate stuff, even for a true crime page. So anyway, they do all the stuff day in and day out. And I love you dream team moderators, but Ashley was one of our first uh, moderators and she was on a trip to, I think to um, the mountains in Tennessee and she died y'all The um, she passed away, I think in her sleep and, um, Anyway, she was a dream team moderator. She was a life for first, dream team moderator for the longest time. She actually came to each one of my live shows and worked it for free or helped us work it. And, and you know, she was just a true friend to so many. Biggest smile in the world, biggest heart in the world, just a love. And she loved photography she loved to fish and I would be joking with her. I, you know, she'd call me or text me and say, Hey, you catching any fish today? And I'm like, no, nah, I hadn't run my lines. Right. And, and, uh, but she, she was loved by everybody that knew her and God rest your soul. Uh, Ashley and, and my life was better for having known you and thank you for all you did for real life, real crime and for me. And for, that's from Cindy also. And, uh, we love you and we'll miss you. And we're praying for your family and friends and everyone who knew you, and we love you. So, uh, Lopa, y'all, Louisiana Oregon Procurement Agency, give the gift of life. The um, sign up to be an organ donor. Go to lopa.org and. Tell them that you heard about him through. It takes like two minutes. Tell them you heard about it from uh, the Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center, criminal justice students, or real life, real crime, and give the gift of life. Okay, the, those people aren't making any money. It's a nonprofit organization, but they're saving lives every day. And the organs, and the eyesight, and the different things that they do, and we'll get into that in the future, but. If you can be a hero, right? And uh, that's it. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you 
down on murder by you. Peace. Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Template.